You're listening to a Sin Media podcast. Previously heard live on Sin 90.7. Hi, you're listening to the weekly wrap on Sin 90.7 with Celine Farah, Bethany Hayes, and Sarah Booth. On today's show, we interview Anastasia from Are You OK? Look back at the controversy surrounding Serena Williams and the US Open final. Plus, Celine gives us the lowdown on the latest horror film, The Nun. And we'll also look into reports this week that show 71% of Australians have experienced sexual harassment. And here are your news headlines for today. Victorian teachers will be trained online to use active learning in Victorian classrooms in a bid to keep kids engaged and combat childhood obesity. The Transform Us program, created by Deakin University, is hoping to solve the issue by limiting the amount of times kids sit in the classroom. Two young Geelong toddlers have died from smoke inhalation early Thursday morning. The girls were sleeping at the time when smoke filled their bedroom. The cause of the fire is not deemed to be suspicious. A 21-year-old Queensland man has swallowed half a sewing needle when he bit into a strawberry believed to have been tampered with by a disgruntled employee. The man issued a warning on Facebook after finding a second needle in the same punnet. And a recall was issued yesterday for berry obsession and berrylicious strawberries purchased in Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria. Hundreds of residents have gathered together to protest council plans for a massive housing estate in Melbourne's southeast, claiming it will ruin their suburb. The Kingston Council received more than 8,000 submissions regarding the proposed development at Kingswood Golf Club in Dingley Village. And an 18-year-old man has faced court yesterday, accused of seriously injuring another teen over a hit-and-run crash during a brawl from an inner Melbourne pub. The man has been charged with 10 offences, including assault, intentionally causing serious injury and conduct endangering life. Victoria's carers have been promised a $49.5 million boost to respite programs and expanded eligibility by the state government. And in Melbourne today, it is 23 degrees with winds of up to 31 kilometres per hour. And now to Sarah with our foreign news. Thank you, Bethany. Hurricane Florence is approaching North Carolina in the US with the centre of the hurricane predicted to make landfall Friday local time. One million people have been ordered to evacuate, but an estimated 10 million are in the storm's path, according to the US Weather Protection Centre. In more hurricane news, US President Donald Trump has questioned Puerto Rico's Hurricane Maria's official death toll from last year. Trump accused Democrats of raising the toll to make him look bad, but failed to provide any evidence. The Philippines is also facing a natural disaster, with a super typhoon on track to hit the country this weekend. Thousands of people have been evacuated, but over 4 million people are at risk. And now to Celine with entertainment. Thanks, Sarah. 26-year-old Mac Miller has died after an apparent overdose at his home in Los Angeles on Friday. Rappers Cardi B and Nicki Minaj were involved in a heated fight during the New York Fashion Week Harper's Bazaar icon party at the Plaza Hotel. In some more Fashion Week news, Rihanna embraces diversity and body positivity at her Savage Cross Fenty show. Among the lineup was model Slick Woods, who was announced who announced her pregnancy in July. China's highest-paid actress, Fan Bingbing, has been ranked last in a list of celebrities for their social responsibility, raising further questions about her sudden disappearance. 
And over to Shanghai, singer Dua Lipa's fans have been forcefully removed by security from her concert on Wednesday due to standing up. To sports now, in footy news, Hawks midfielder Jager O'Meara will not play in tonight's game against Melbourne due to a knock to his left knee in last week's loss to Richmond. Sydney's vice-captain Dan Hanabry and teammate Gary Rohan are both set to be traded during the AFL's off-season. Magpie Chris Main has credited his girlfriend for coming back to form after a disappointing 2017. To sports now, Serena Williams was accused of receiving coaching from her box at the US Open Championship. More on this later in the show. That's all for news, but don't go anywhere. Now, let's face it, guys, politics is pretty confusing. And at times, it can be tempting to just tune out and ignore all the drama in Canberra. That's my personal tactic there. But like it or not, who's in charge of our country has a big impact on our day-to-day lives. So every week, to help give us some clarity, clarity, sorry, we have Sarah Booth here to walk us through all of the politics news we need. So, Sarah, what's been making news? Well, Bethany, Malcolm Turnbull has caused a bit of a stir following a tweet directed at our new Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. Turnbull tweeted, The point I have made to at Scott Morrison MP and other colleagues is that given the uncertainty around Peter Dutton's eligibility, acknowledged by the Solicitor General, he should be referred to the High Court as Barnaby was to clarify the matter. What uncertainty is he talking about? During the Lib spill, some concerns were raised about whether Peter Dutton is eligible for office. What does it mean to be eligible for office? So our constitution states a number of rules or conditions that politicians must abide by or meet in order to be allowed to sit in parliament. Kind of like the classic primary school, no hat, no play rule. You're ineligible to play outside if you didn't have a hat. The rule that has received the most attention in recent times and the one Turnbull refers to in his tweet when he mentions Barnaby's referral is the one preventing politicians from having foreign citizenship. Why is Dutton potentially ineligible? So, the Constitution bans politicians from benefiting financially in any way from the Commonwealth. So, Beth, let's say you were an MP. (laughs) You couldn't decide to, say, give the Weekly Wrap a media grant so we can buy new audio equipment. It'd be a conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. During the lib spill, it was revealed Dutton's family trust, which was recorded in the Parliamentary Register of Interests, apparently had financial interest in two childcare centres. The reason this is a potential issue is because these childcare centres receive government subsidies. So is Dutton eligible or not? Last month, the Solicitor General Stephen Donoghue, the government's most senior lawyer, said Dutton was, quote unquote, not incapable of remaining in Parliament. The wording is weird and sparked a few memes online, but it essentially means that the Solicitor General believes Dutton is eligible. So that's the best bet for answering that question of if he's eligible or not. However, the Solicitor General cannot 100% guarantee that Dutton is allowed to be in Parliament. And this is what Turnbull is getting at in his tweet when he says that there needs to be uh, a decision made to clarify the matter. Only the High Court and only can the High Court rule on whether a politician is eligible for Parliament. The Solicitor General is just giving his advice on how he thinks the High Court will rule. Now, obviously, the Solicitor General knows his stuff. (laughs) They're across the Constitution, you'd think, so advice should be pretty sound. 
However, as noted in Donoghue's advice, sometimes the High Court has interpreted the Constitution differently. This means that while the Solicitor General has predicted how the High Court will rule, he doesn't know for certain. I mean, after all, he can't see the future. Therefore, we cannot know for certain if Dutton is eligible, hence why Turnbull wants the case before the High Court. Will the case go to the High Court? For this to happen, their House of Reps would need to vote for the case to be referred. The reality is we don't know if this will go to the High Court as we don't know if there is the numbers for the vote. But we do know that Scott Morrison is not looking to refer Peter Dutton, so he does have the support of our Prime Minister. And what's been the reaction to Turnbull's tweet? Former Deputy Prime Minister Barnaby Joyce lashed out at Turnbull for the tweet, accusing him of having an active campaign to try and remove us as the government, according to the ABC. And lastly, why would Turnbull tweet this? Well, Turnbull's tweet says that Dutton needs to be referred to clarify the matter. But given it's Dutton who essentially stabbed Turnbull in the back (laughs) when he tried and failed to become Prime Minister... You have to wonder if this tweet is personal. Oh, I know I'm wondering. You're listening to the weekly wrap on Sin 90.7 with myself, Sarah Booth, Bethany Hayes and Celine Farrah. And now we have something special for you coming up. As I'm sure many of you know, yesterday was Are You OK Day. It's a very important day every year and I think it's really important that people take part in it and learn about how they can essentially ask that all-important question, are you okay? So I had a chat to Anastasia from Are You Okay Day to find out how you can reach out to any friends who you're worried about. Take a listen. If you could just give our listeners a little bit of insight uh, into the background of Are You Okay and uh, what your mission is. Sure, Sarah. So we're a a national suicide prevention charity. Um, We work in the early intervention space. Uh, And so what we do is that we encourage people to look out for um, those in their world, uh, to see the signs that someone might be struggling, um, and to start a conversation with that individual. Uh, We're actually entering our 10th year at the moment. um, And we were started by um, a gentleman called Gavin Larkin. Gavin has sadly passed away. um, But he was uh, inspired to, I guess, get the nation asked asking this question um, after um, being faced with questions um, following the death of of his father, um, Barry, uh, in 1995 to suicide. Uh, What he wanted to see was a a country, um, a community, and and hopefully one day um, internationally, people coming together, um, staying connected, um, and and making sure that everyone is, is protected from suicide. And so what advice would you give to um, young people who, if there's somebody in their lives that they are maybe worried about, uh, it obviously can be uh, quite a difficult subject to broach and some people can feel overwhelmed. So what would your advice be? So we've got four steps that we encourage um, everyone to follow if they are going to have one of these conversations. The first one is to ask, are you okay? Uh, I would say to anyone who is concerned about having this conversation um, that you do have what it takes. It's about approaching uh, approaching it in a genuine, uh, caring um, and an appropriate way. And so by asking that question, by commenting on the changes that you've noticed and letting them know that you, that you want to be there to support them, that's a really important first step. The second one is to listen and listen with an open mind. This is about giving them the space to share their story, uh, letting them open up about whatever is troubling them and really showing them that, that you're trying to understand um, and that you want to, to hear what's going on for them. 
the third step is encourage action. When we're going through a lot, um, it's really important that we tap into appropriate support. This could be uh, doing things for ourselves, looking at our nutrition, um, looking at the way that we're sleeping, and it can also be connecting with professional support services. A great first stop is to encourage them to make an appointment with their GP. Perhaps you can you can offer to go with them or to or to make that um, make that call um, with them. Uh, and then if they are uh, dealing with some really tough emotions and need an immediate listening ear, uh, services like Lifeline are available 24-7. They can be called on 131114 and it's a confidential service. Uh, and the fourth step is probably the most important and that's to check in. Uh, when we're going through a lot, it's really important that we have that support network around us. Uh, the journey towards recovery and the journey through those tough times can, can take a little bit of time and knowing that our friends and family are there, knowing that our peers are there really does matter. So we encourage people to check back in soon. And how should they go about this checking in? Because obviously it can be, uh, I guess people can kind of be consumed by worry. They may feel a little bit lost, unsure what to do, unsure if they're doing the right thing. How should they go about this last step? Yeah, so I think it's about, um, you know, first of all, uh, checking in 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 your normal way. So, you know, we all catch up with our friends. We all like to spend time with them. Um, Think about one of those activities, organising one of them, um, and use that as an opportunity to to bring up, hey, how have you been since our last chat? Did you end up doing that step that we talked about? If they haven't taken that action, um, don't, don't take that personally. Um, encourage them to, to perhaps look at that at doing that particular step again um, or have a chat to them about what else might work for them. Hey, so maybe, you know, seeing the doctor wasn't, wasn't something that was going to work for you. Is there something else that you think that we can do together or is there an activity um, perhaps that, that might help um, in that space too? So it really is about um, not overcomplicating it. Um, because what we want to do is make sure that, that people do do take the time to have these conversations and do take the time to, to connect with people. If you are in a position where you're feeling a little bit out of your depth, it's okay to call on the support of, um, of other organisations. Are You Okay has lots of conversation resources to help you, um, but also you can contact um, some of the crisis support services to talk through some of those heavier conversations. Um, Lifeline and the Suicide Callback Service are fantastic resources for that. Yeah, and um, I also just wanted to ask about there may be some listeners out there who perhaps they themselves are struggling and maybe nobody has asked them if they are okay because uh, maybe people don't think that there's a need to ask. What advice would you give for someone like that? We'd encourage them to reach out to someone that they trust. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member, um, maybe it's a, it's a lecturer. Um, and to, to open up about, you know, whatever it is that you're feeling. Um, people do want to hear your story. They do care. Um, and we would we'd strongly encourage you to do that. If you have been feeling this way for longer than two weeks, we would urge you to, to connect with a trusted health professional. Your local doctor is a really great first stop um, if you if you do need some ongoing support. And you can chat to them about something called a mental health care plan. Um, when you're talking to your GP, try and use language um, that, that really shows what it is that you're struggling with. You could say, I'm finding um, it really hard to manage my emotions at the moment or I've been feeling really low for, um, for two weeks or more. And that, that can really help them direct their conversation with you um, to, to what can be done um, now and into the future to support you. Um, if you are dealing with, um, with thoughts of suicide, we would urge you to connect with Lifeline on 13 
1114. Also called the Suicide Callback Service. That service is staffed by professionals who will work with you now and into the future. Um, and of course, there are, I'm sure there are services on campus as well that you can tap into. But help is available, and we would encourage you to to reach out um, and start and start that journey. So really, it is all just about having that open communication, both to people if they're struggling and if you yourself are struggling, and just knowing that there are people who are willing to listen. Definitely, and if look for some of us, opening up face to face can be a little bit daunting, um, and the conversation doesn't necessarily need to be started face to face. But that's always fantastic. Um, if you're more comfortable talking online or sending a text message to someone to indicate that you know things are a little bit tough for you right now, we would encourage you to do that. Um, and we've certainly developed a few resources to help people respond in an appropriate way on those different channels, um, because you know a lot of us, a lot of us do communicate with our friends and family um, online these days. Now, uh, obviously, it's Are You OK Day uh, this week. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, some of the work that your organisation has been doing into the lead-up. You mentioned that you were on the road. Yeah, I'm currently on uh, on our second conversation convoy. So we've been travelling around the country, uh, 14,000 kilometres and visiting 25 communities um, to... Uh, give people the, the skills and the confidence to have these conversations and to also send the message that um, every day is Are You OK Day. So um, any day we see the signs that someone might be struggling with life, um, we need to reach out and, and, and ask Are You OK, listen, encourage action and check in. It's been a pretty um, amazing journey. Uh, we've had a lot of, of fantastic conversations, a lot of tough conversations. Um, we've had the opportunity to connect people with local support services who we've worked really closely with on the ground um, because knowing where to go in your community um, is, is really important. Um, and we've also released a national media campaign this year called Signs. And what Signs does is that it explores some of those more subtle signs and indicators um, that might that might mean that someone is going through a tough time. So they're little things like perhaps they're not sleeping as well, perhaps they've stopped turning up to social engagement, maybe they've amassed an amazing record collection and suddenly they've just decided to give it all away, or they're quite fastidious, they're someone who likes to be quite clean and all of a sudden they're less, um, they're less concerned with their appearance and less concerned with, with how things look. Those little signs and indicators um, could mean that it's time to, to trust your gut instinct and ask, are you okay? Recently, we released a campaign called Testing Times, um, and this looks at you know one of the one of the more trying moments that university students might face. Um, exams uh, pressure can mount a little bit. We can sometimes um, lose those connections with our friends and our family and the people that we rely on for support. Um, and at these times, we want to encourage peers to just keep an eye out for one another. Um, and if if someone is it does look like they're struggling with, um, you know, with the pressure at that time, or perhaps something else is going on in their in their lives. Um, that they take the time to have a conversation with them. And I guess I also wanted to ask about why, obviously, uh, suicide prevention is a, you know, it's a very complicated issue, and there's a lot of different factors to consider. I wanted to ask um, why that uh, this step of, you know, asking someone, "Are you okay? Why is this so helpful? Why is it so important?" So we're, we're all about early intervention. Yeah. Um, the sooner we can uh, recommend um, next steps to someone, the sooner we can link them in with appropriate support, um, the, the sooner they're able to start that journey towards healing and towards recovery. Um, having the support of people around you um, is, is important and it is um, recognised as one of the protective factors against suicide. 
So some of the things that can increase someone's risk of suicide is um, a lack of belonging and a sense that they're a burden. If we take the time to check in with the people around us, it sounds really simple, and it is, um, it sends that message to someone that you're not a burden, we care about you, we want to support you, and you're not alone. It shows them that there's a community who are rallying around them and that people really do want to walk this journey with them. That was Anastasia from Are You OK? If you yourself need some support, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14, the Suicide Callback Service on 1300 659 467 or Beyond Blue on 1300 as you may know, Naomi Osaka, one of the rising stars in tennis, has defeated Serena Williams in the US Open final. But the championship match will most likely be remembered for Serena Williams' reactions to the violations she received. I'll just give you a bit of a background here and what those violations consisted of, really. So the first violation was due to the umpire accusing her of cheating for receiving coaching. So the coach was basically mouthing instructions to her, which is not allowed in tennis. And he has later admitted, like he did come out and he was like, I actually was <laughs> trying to coach. But it's important to yes. say he did say, like Serena wasn't in on it and that um, she, she didn't, didn't see it. it. But he admitted he was coaching. Exactly. So it was there. Yeah. And the second one, she smashed her racket, and this is an automatic violation in tennis. So Serena got really mad about this coaching violation. She said to the umpire, you need to make an announcement right now that I don't get coaching. You owe me an apology. And then after receiving a a point penalty for this, Williams called the umpire a thief, which is the reason why she got her third violation. She said she wouldn't have got a violation for calling him a thief if she was a male. So basically she's had the point violation for coaching, which Mm -hmm. the coach has admitted was there. Yes. But Serena herself didn't take part in it, so she took offence to it. The point violation, the coaching, the violation, sorry, for the racket smashing and then the final violation was for calling the umpire a thief. Yes. And that's where the issue is because she's claiming, she's not claiming the first two were because of her gender, but she's... She's claimed that the final violation where she was in trouble for calling him a thief, she's essentially saying that males can have just as emotional reactions to umpire calls and they don't then get a violation. Yeah, so she basically did say, because I'm a woman, you're going to take this away from me. That's not right. Every single year that I play, it's just not right. And that's where the real backlash was. And it's understandable that there's a lot of backlash from this. We've seen it on both sides. The Age editor, Alex Lavelle, has actually come out and given his support to um, the chair umpire, Carlos Ramos's decision. Um, he said that the claim that men get away with similar behaviour is not based on evidence and he asserts that the idea that this was Williams letting off steam and being who she is should never be used to obscure the fact that sometimes she has been capable of threatening behaviour. And we did see this in the final. I mean, I love Serena Williams. I'm, I'm personally a huge fan, but I must say that watching that uh, footage where she says to the umpire, um, I will make sure that you never officiate or umpire a game of mine um, ever again. That, I feel like that kind of falls under threatening behaviour, yeah. threatening someone yeah. that they're never going to get to work. It's a bit intense. Yeah, yeah. I guess threatening, threatening his job in that sense. So I guess that comment is... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he's also since argued that um, Serena told the umpire that she has a daughter and this idea that being a mother means that, you know, Williams can't possibly 
be a cheat. You know, he, he thinks that is absurd. And other chair umpires have come out in support of the decision. So we've seen, we see that some people do recognise it as a good decision, but on the other hand, Mark Knight from the Herald Sun's cartoon, which criticises Serena Williams's behaviour, has been labelled as racist. It has made a bit of international attention, but Mark has come out and he has actually defended it and he said, I drew Serena Williams as she is, an African-American woman. It was about her behaviour. And there also has been... Uh support for Serena Williams, I understand. Yeah, there's been quite a bit of support on Twitter. I know in response to the cartoon, J.K. Rowling tweeted, well done on reducing one of the greatest sportswomen alive to racist and sexist tropes and turning a second great sportswoman, Naomi Osaka, into a faceless prop. And I guess that, you know, this kind of shows that there has been like a variety of backlash there was also but then also support there was support from yeah so from Billie Jean King she's also tweeted support for Serena when a woman is emotional she's hysterical and she's penalized for it but when a man does the same he's outspoken and there are no repercussions thank you at Serena Williams for calling out this double standard so what this really shows I mean is it's clear that there's a variety of opinions and people are very divided On this, it's not so much we saw um, a few weeks ago. We spoke about it here on the show about the controversy over her catsuit. And the tennis world was pretty much united in their support for Serena Williams. But this is kind of split down the middle. And I think regardless of where you stand on this, I mean, personally, I'm not really going to state what my opinion is because I don't really, I think, frankly, that there's too many people putting out their opinion on this potentially when the fact is I don't have a... Uh, intimate understanding of tennis rules. Mm -hmm. I'm not an umpire. I haven't ever played professionally. So I feel like how can I comment on if the ruling was there or not or if it's a double standard when I don't particularly understand? I mean, I'll watch the Grand Slam when it's on. I'll watch the Aussie Open, but that's about it. So I think regardless of where you stand on that, whether you are with Serena or whether you are with the umpire, I think something that most people can agree on is that it's been really um, unfair on the winner, Naomi Osaka. This should have been her moment. It's her first Grand Slam. Mm-hmm. And she is she uh, spent some time living in New York when she was young. She used to go to this venue and watch players. Serena Williams was her idol. It was her dream to play Serena Williams in a Grand Slam, and she did just that. At the, go her! Like I 20 know. years old, what an achievement. So good. I know, at the stadium that she used to go to as a child watching tennis players, and it really, I think it's really a disappointment that this, this moment has been overshadowed by the reporting. I was, uh, to be honest, I was disappointed with some of the media coverage of this. I felt like some headlines implied that she won because of the violations, which, which frankly isn't true. I mean, she was already one set up. The uh, violations didn't take place till the second set, if I'm not mistaken. So I feel like that a lot of the headlines in their bid to try to work this controversy into the angle of the story, which I understand, um, but the way they worded it made it sound like the violations were the bigger part of the story. Yeah, and just with the media, can I just say I actually thought this was a semi-final or more of a minor game. Mm-hmm. I didn't think the coverage of a championship would be so focused on the Serena issue. Exactly. Yeah, I just I was just really surprised that it was actually even showing that like it didn't really even show in the headlines that Osaka won. Exactly, and it's not to say that it's not an important issue if we have a 
player like Serena Williams are, you know, feeling that she isn't being treated right because of her gender, absolutely, you have a duty to investigate that. Where, where, the, where, no matter where you stand on those claims, you have to investigate them. But uh, yeah, it's been really disappointing the way it's been taken. Her moments been taken away from Osaka. I really felt for her when uh, she was booed by the crowd um, on the when she received um, the trophy and when she gave her speeches. And I just thought that was really disappointing. Um, to her credit, like Serena Williams, I don't want to say I don't think Serena Williams set out to take any uh, anything away from Osaka and her moment. Serena Williams, you know, told Osaka, like, they're not booing you, you know, I'm proud of you. But Osaka apologised for winning. She feels guilty for winning. And That's just so sad. It's so wrong. wrong because, you know, it was Osaka's moment and – I saw this quote, you only win your first Grand Slam once, and I think that pretty much sums it up. Now, don't go anywhere. Next up, we're going to be talking about the latest results of a survey that, to be honest, were pretty disappointing. We're on your radio, we're online, we're digital, we're everywhere. Sin Media. We're young people, run the show. You're listening to The Weekly Wrap on Sin 90.7 and... Now we're going to move on to another topic that's been in the news a bit this week. Um, and frankly, I was pretty disappointed by it, as I'm sure anyone listening would be. So the uh, the Human Rights Commission has released a the results of a survey into sexual harassment in Australia. It's the fourth study of its kind, first since 2012. And um, yeah. I mean, I'll just let the results speak for themselves. So 71% of Australians have been sexually harassed at some point in their lives with 85% of women and uh, 56% of men. Uh, Groups that are at a much higher risk of sexual harassment, uh, Indigenous and Torres Strait Islanders, uh, those with a disability and young Australians. I have to say I'm actually super surprised at the statistics that 56% of men have been sexually harassed at some point in their lives. Yeah. I know we understand this is a big issue for women, but the statistics speak for themselves. It's happening to men too, and it's an issue we really need to address. I agree. Like, there is an obvious gap still, but Mm -hmm. 56% is still really high. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we do need to, like like you said, Celine, acknowledge the gap in that there's a 30% difference. So obviously there is a gender issue behind that. But it's not the only issue, and I don't think we can just write sexual harassment off as something that only happens to women. Exactly. And this study shows that. And even in the workplace, the reported prevalence of harassment jumped from 21% in 2012 to 33% now. That's a massive jump. And I find that jump really disappointing in that, you know, I would have thought in four years we would have made progress as a society. I mean, that's kind of where you hope we're heading, that we're constantly evolving and improving on women's rights and also just the human rights. Everybody mm-hmm. has a right, as we've just mentioned. It's it's no long, it's not just an issue for women. And yeah, so I guess I'm really disappointed, especially in the wake of the Me Too movement, which you know we hope will be influential and we hope will drive change. But this kind of yeah, this says this something crushes yeah. everything you've been hoping for. Yeah, like, it really exactly. does. And like. I find it just so interesting that only 17% of people actually made formal complaints to their employees. So if we think about that, for the people that are actually experiencing this, so few of them are actually making making a complaint. And this is because um, the most common reason that they're not reporting sexual harassment within the workplace is that people will think it's an overreaction. Yeah, that's that's. And I find that shocking because it's never an overreaction. So that I say it's... 
you, you're never overreacting. You have the right to go to your workplace and you have the right to not be harassed in that manner. And anyone who tells you otherwise is just frankly wrong. If you feel it's there, it's there. Exactly. exactly. Trust your gut, trust your instinct. If people are making you feel uncomfortable with inappropriate sexual comments about yourself and your body or inappropriate touching, you have every right to call them out. Don't listen to the people who say, you know, oh, how dare you, like you've ruined that person's career by making the complaint. No, they ruined their career when they didn't respect your rights. So you have the right to be free in your workplace and not feel uncomfortable or intimidated. So if that's the only thing we can take away from this survey, you're not alone. 71% of people have been there with you. And hopefully in four years' time, we'll be reporting on a much better statistic. We're just going to get into a bit of a review of The Nun. If you guys didn't know, The Nun is a horror film. Wait, so not Sister Act? No. Is there Whoopi Goldberg? <laughs> no, Sister Act, do not go if you're expecting Sister oh, Act. Damn it, like, I can't a, go now. <laughs> bit of a surprise. Very big surprise. So it's basically the prequel to the Conjuring franchise. And let me just tell you, it's one scary ride. I do have some intelligence, Celine, <laughs> that you possibly screamed so loud in the cinema that everyone around you started laughing the oh my whole gosh. cinema. Apparently, you actually screamed in the trailers, which I think is an admirable effort. I just wasn't expecting horror trailers in a horror film. (laughs) Don't ask me why, but yeah, I was quite scared. I'll just give you a bit of a background of the movie. Hit us with it. Yeah. So a young nun takes her own life at the start of the film, not a spoiler. And then Father Burke, a priest, and Sister Irene are sent by the Vatican to kind of investigate what went down. And... I did really like the movie in the sense that it did follow, you know, the classic tropes of a ho- uh, of a horror film with mm-hmm. all the jump scares and everything. Love a jump scare. <laughs> a lot did think a lot of the jump scares were expected, but let me just tell you, a lot were also unexpected. <laughs> and the only real criticism I'd give it is that there wasn't much depth to the storyline. Mm-hmm. If you're comparing it to, say, The Other Conjurings, it kind of just followed the one path. So it was really just kind of jump scares more than plot exactly. and characters and exactly. stuff. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But that was, yeah. Yeah, that sounds amazing, actually. actually if you love horror films and love yeah. a bit of a jump scare, go watch it. I mean, <laughs> normally, Selena, I would take your recommendations. I would be heading down to yeah, the cinema. Yeah, like the Bible. But, um, <laughs> no pun intended there. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, I feel like I might give this one a miss. <laughs> I'm not really looking forward for uh, I do like to you know be able to sleep at night. But thank you for that review anyways. <laughs> and unfortunately, that brings us to the end of our show. But if you liked what you heard, please give us a like on our socials. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the usuals. You've been listening to a Sin Media Podcast. Previously heard live on Sin 90.7.